On today's episode of the John Campus Show podcast is not just actors and writers, but theater workers have actually started voting to unionize. Also, the Taylor Swift concert destroyed all kinds of box office records, but it didn't quite live up to the projections that they set. We're going to talk about why. Also, there's a story going around as a result of a new book that the MCU could be looking at hard or soft rebooting after Avengers 6. Millie Bobby Brown is saying she's ready to get out of Stranger Things because it's holding her back from doing projects she's actually passionate about. And you want to hear something Awful. Matthew Vaughn quit X-Men 3 because he found out that Fox executives at the time were, were trying to con Halle Bailey Barry. I keep getting those mixed up. We're going to talk about that. And Sony blocked Marvel from using the villain they actually wanted to use in Spider-Man No Way Home. Probably worked out for the best. We're going to talk about that and a whole bunch more. The John Cavish Show podcast starts right now. Well, greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the best damn movie-related show on the planet Earth, the John Campus Show podcast. Coming to you from right here in our quaint little studio, brought to you in part by our good friends at Mint Mobile. I'm, of course, your host, John Campia, and it is an awesome honor and privilege, as it is every day, to have you, our international friends, gather around as we talk about our favorite things in the world, movies and movie news, TV and streaming and all sorts of good things, not just giving you our opinions, but giving you some information and context so you guys can form your own well-informed opinions, whether they're the same or completely different from ours. I'm joined in studio today by Ray Ora. Hey, 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 hey. We got Jonathan Voiko here. He's all hyped up on that Godzilla trailer. Writer, director, <laughs> producer Robert Meyer Burnett is here. Freshly swifted. Freshly, a newborn Swifty is here. And most importantly, you guys are here. Thanks so much for making this show part of your day. Here's how today's show is going to go, guys. We're going to start off by going through those predetermined topics that I just listed off. And then in the last part of the show, we're going to take your comments and questions. Now, we've already asked our beloved YouTube channel members who are supporters of our channel to fire in some topics. So we're going to get through as many of those as we can. But if you guys are watching live right now and you do have to be watching live. You can actually use the Super Chat feature and fire in some topics and questions. And we'll get to those at the end of the video, as long as, you know, they're topics and questions that are appropriate for us to be addressing on the show. All right. Listen, before we get into those main topics, got a couple of quick stories here, if you want, that we're going to go through quick. I feel like we need background music. Ray, drop some beatbox here. Well, that's so good. That's good. But Dude, we're going to those... get demonetized. So don't yeah, do that yeah, anymore. That's All right. We had to bring it down. Some quick stories, starting off with this. Kevin Spacey, his first new film that he's been involved with called, I believe it's called Control, was scheduled to have its debut at a London movie theater, uh, have its premiere there. But when the London movie theater found out that Kevin Spacey is a part of the movie, they uh, wrote an opt-ed and basically let them know, we don't want to host your movie anymore. Uh, now, this is going to be the first movie that Kevin Spacey is a part of ever since getting cleared on sexual assault charges. But still, the movie theater doesn't want to be associated with what he's got going on, even though it's a very, very small part. You only hear his voice on phone calls in the movie, apparently. But still, that's something that's going to be interesting to see how that kind of evolves. Also, it's now official, unfortunately. Blue Beetle is now completely done its theatrical run. And at $128 million worldwide, it is now officially the lowest grossing DCEU of all time. And, and it's a shame because it's actually a pretty good movie. Billion Dollar I, I, Beetle. Yep. Almost billion Dollar got, Beetle. About one-tenth of that. Yeah, yeah. Got, yeah at least across the 10% mark yeah. of that. So there's that. Also, if you've got some fixing for some Top Gun, Nat Geo 
has just signed to do Top Gun The Next Generation as a docu-series. Now, think about, what's the football one, Ray? Hard Knocks? Yeah, Hard Knocks. Yeah, so if you follow any of that stuff, it's it's going to be a series that literally follows the newest class of Top Gun Oh, as cool. they're going through and competing for the chance to fly like the ultimate fighter planes that they have uh, in the Navy right now. And uh, yeah, it, listen, I'll tell you what, I'm not all for reality docuseries normally, but I do like Hard Knocks, put it in the world of actual Top Gun, and that could be interesting. And uh, yeah, that will wrap up our little quick news blips. I hope you guys enjoyed those. All right. With that down, guys, let's move on to our actual main stories, and we're going to start off with this. Movie theater workers in Manhattan, in one Manhattan theater in particular, have decided that it's time for them to unionize. And that is sparking off discussions of other movie theater workers around the country about maybe unionizing as well. As a matter of fact, the one union... Uh, in Manhattan, or not the union, but the theater workers in Manhattan voted to join the local auto workers union. I think it's the local 2179. I think that's the one that it is. And, and they voted and it got ratified and they're going to unionize. Now, one might ask the question, why do movie theater workers need to unionize? It actually gets connected to Barbenheimer. Mm-hmm. Now, Barbenheimer happened and it was great for the theaters. It packed all the theaters, all that kind of stuff. But apparently... As is common for a lot of movie theaters, they understaffed, which puts a lot of pressure on the people working there. And if you've ever been to a movie theater, you have most likely seen a customer berating and pretty much abusing movie theater staff. I really should apologize for that. (laughs) I had a little too much to drink. (laughs) I'm sorry. Anyway, this comes to us from the Associated Press that write the following. But for some employees at the Alamo Draft House in Manhattan, Barbenheimer was the breaking point. That really pushed us to the edge, said Maggie Quick, a guest attendant. It was just the constant understaffing and the emotional exhaustion. People were waiting longer than usual for their food, and that makes them short-tempered and impatient, recalls Tyler Trotman, a shift leader. We're the ones facing customers. It takes a toll, a mental toll to be yelled at by guests because their drink has been taking an hour. Now, look. Under a lot of circumstances, I would probably be saying, oh, boo-hoo, your job comes with some stresses. Oh, boo-hoo, grow up. But I've seen the way some of these kids, and they're not all, but a lot of them are kids. I've seen the way firsthand, the way some of these kids get treated by patrons because there's not enough butter on their popcorn. Because the hot dog isn't hot enough or I've been waiting 10 minutes for my stuff. And granted I've been in movie theaters on busy nights where it's been like without a word, shadow of of exaggeration at the AMC Burbank 16. And they do normally have great management there. I'm not trying to disparage the management at the AMC Burbank 16, but I've been there where there have literally been 70 people in line and out of the nine registers, like three of them were open. And people get there, you know, you already have AMC with this bullshit stuff of playing a half hour of trailers beforehand. So people try to show up a little bit late and whatever, that should be reasonable. But all of a sudden now they're in a line to get a soda for 25, 35 minutes. And now they're risking missing their start time. Listen, 
I'm not saying that gives people the right to take it out on some kid working at a counter just doing their job. But these kids, a lot of them are kids, some of them are elderly, are the ones who have to take the brunt while the management and the owners of these theaters don't have to deal with it. Eh, we'll save 75 bucks if we don't put little Eddie on that night too and just let Susie and Marky deal with it by themselves. And it's one of those strange things to me, again, that I often see happen in movie theaters where, listen, I get it. It's a razor thin margin business. You gotta be wise with how you spend your money, but making sure you're staffed properly on what you know are gonna be big nights is only gonna be good for your business because it makes the movie going experience better for your patrons. You understaff, you're not just putting stress on your kids, you're putting stress on the, the people coming to your movie theaters who are now having a negative experience all because you wanted to save an extra 75, 150, 200 bucks that night. And it's kind of short-sighted. So I listen, I gotta tell you, if I hadn't seen it for myself, I'd be going, why are movie theater workers unionizing? But I've seen it and you've seen it. And I kind of get it. And honestly, Rob, I think this is something that's going to go wide. I think in a year from now, it's going to be pretty common to find out more areas, more uh, zones in the North American box office are going to start unionizing with their theater workers. I don't know. You heard about this. What do you think? Well, I, I'm, kind of, I'm kind of of two minds about this, John. On one hand, you know, movie theaters need all the help they can get. But on the other hand, they make predominantly the most amount of money with their refreshments with hundred percent, you know, whether yeah. it's sodas, whether it's, so I would think that, and, and to anticipate the rush, you know, restaurants anticipate a rush. And when you have, uh, I, I quite enjoy the Alamo draft house and they provide a premium service. In addition to just having a refreshment stand, you can order food in. They actually have a real restaurant there where they're cooking foods for people. So that takes a long time. And when you're in New York City, there's uh, it's it's heightened. And it's all polite people in New York City. Like, we know that for a fact, right? All yeah, the politest people in the world. So on one hand, movie theaters are, are, are hanging by a thread. But on the other hand, if you say you're going to provide a service to your patrons, you have to provide that service. That's, that's a minimum expectation of the business that you're running. And like you said, people who are retired are going back to work, so they have something to do working in movie theaters, and it's younger kids. It's a great entry-level position, and there aren't as many entry-level jobs as there used to be. Movie theaters are a great place to work because you have a crew of people. You learn a certain set of social skills and political skills, so it's a great place to work. It's a fun place to work, and you get free movie, movies. Um, so I think... That fighting for a fair wage is not ever a bad thing. And I just hope that movie theaters look at it as a way to, it's a way to increase the product that they're giving to the public. Let's make the experience better. AMC's certainly done that with their projection. Yeah. And yeah, they their have. seating. They spent the billions of dollars to do that. And now what you need to do, don't forget the people that are the first line of defense to make sure your patrons have a great experience. I want to address a couple things a few people in our live audience are, are mentioning. Isaac Cushman makes a very great point that I think we can all identify with. He says this, more employees equals more products sold. I have given up on concessions before because the line took so long to move. Yeah. They, they're literally missing out on sales by not putting, you know, it's being penny wise, dollar foolish. Uh, also, Marcus Y writes, well, why can't people just order ahead in the app? Listen, I do order ahead in the app. There have been many times I have ordered ahead on the app and said, okay, you know, my movie starts seven, your, your 
product, your food will be ready at 6.55. And at 6.55, I'm standing there at the shelf where they're supposed to put out my order. 7, 7 7.10, 7.15 comes. And it's just that they got slammed with people in line. It doesn't come through. They've got, the union isn't necessarily about, the workers here aren't necessarily asking for higher wages. Like, I'm sure they do want higher wages, but the main thing they seem to be is like, just staff us properly. Instead of five people on a busy shift, put seven people on a busy shift. It, it's reasonable. And also, you know, coordinating online orders is a whole other skill set that's yes, involved. It is. So there's, there's, it's not just, it's like every other job, the, the digital age has made it so we have to do 10 different things, but when before we only did five. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this. Did you feel the mountains tremble? Did you see the oceans rise and fall and the quaking beneath your feet as the Swifties stampeded out to the movie theaters to go see the opening of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour? And of course, it smashed some all-time box office records, but it didn't quite make as much as they were kind of projecting. Initially, it was being projected $75 to $100 million. I actually thought that was kind of low. Until I found out that, oh, there weren't going to be any Thursday screenings, only Friday screenings after 6 p.m. It's like, okay, I get it. But then at the last second, they announced some Thursday screenings. And all of a sudden, some projections went as high as $125 or $150 million. Well, Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert movie video, which, by the way, cost $15 million to make. <laughs> cost $15 million to make. Made $96 million. Now, that's the projected... The actual number might be up one or two million, might be down one or two million. But right now, Box Office Mojo is saying it made $96 million on its opening weekend. Now that, I want to put this in perspective, breaks the all-time concert movie record just in its opening weekend. Like, I'm not saying it broke the record for opening weekend for concert movies. It broke the concert movies record in just one weekend. Uh, that's how big this was. And is one of the top five biggest opening weekends of the year for a little concert. It did spectacular, but it didn't do as high as some people were projecting it to go. So why didn't this era's tour do better? I mean, it did great. I think we all acknowledge it did great. But why didn't it do better? Well, Matt Bellani from The Puck uh, wrote an, an article about this, and I kind of peppered in a few of my own thoughts here as well. But here are basically five reasons, I think, that Eras did great, but why maybe it didn't live up to some of the expectations that some people thought it was going to be, including myself. Number one, men didn't go see it. The audience, according to the stats came out, was 80% female. Now, a lot of times, very male-centric movies come out, but you'll see like a 58 to 42, 58% male, 42% female, you know, stuff like that. Like a lot of girls were interested in those films or would go along with their guy friends, whatever. I think there was an expectation that while obviously the Eros tour is going to be predominantly targeted at a female audience, I think there was an expectation that more men would go along. Men like Robert Meyer Burnett, who went off to go see the movie this weekend. <laughs> he just I, went by himself. Yeah, that. hey, that would be a great dating pool. Apparently, if there's eight women for every two guys in the theater. But I mean, I think there was an expectation that there would be more of a date factor uh, to go into this. So finish there. The number two reason is this. Most tickets were sold in advance. And I think there was two things at play. One, there was 
an impression out there. I know this because I had it myself that there's no point in trying to get tickets this weekend because everything's sold out. Because, you know, on the limited number of screens that they, when they launched the ticket sales, they all sold out within an hour or two. So I think there might've been some impression of that. But also videos Thursday night started circulating on social media of packed theaters with people dancing and singing and screaming in the theaters. And that might've been enough to turn off regular moviegoers who might've thought, you know, some regulars who thought, you know, I'm not a Swifty, but I'll go see this concert movie. Why not? Uh, people are going wild in that theater. I don't want to go. So, I mean, to me, that would have been an incentive to go. I love it when a theater gets right into it, but that may have turned some things down. Number three, there were, while they did launch screenings on Thursday and Friday pre 6 PM, they were limited. I didn't realize this till this weekend when I started actually reading the statistics. So compared to most movies that open on weekends, it had a limited number of Thursday screenings and a limited number of screens at pre 6 PM. So that kind of took some of the wind under the sail. Number four, very limited advertising. Now, you may think, rightfully so, what are you talking about? I can turn around without seeing somebody talking about Swifties. Yes, but they predominantly, 90% of their marketing was on Instagram. And it was just Taylor Swift. And then the news outlets talking about it. And if it wasn't for the fact that Taylor Swift started dating uh, Travis Kelsey, that made it one, they did one spot. They bought one advertising spot on a Thursday night football game because that made sense. So there's a couple million bucks there, but really they were just going after in their marketing areas where Swift fans were already inhabiting. So that probably doused it a little bit. And number five, look guys, at the end of the day, it was just a concert video, right? It is just a concert movie. Now I love me a couple of great concert movies. I do, but I mean, could it have beaten Barbie and stuff like that as just a concert movie? Now look, despite all these five things, make no mistake about it. This movie that costs $15 million to make in North America alone made $96 million. And by the way, a little bit later today, when what's, these are the estimates, when the actuals come out later today, it might be 97, 98. And if so, it will break the Joker record of the all-time biggest opening for an October movie in history. Right now, with the estimates, it sets $782,000 behind the Joker record. So when the actuals come out, maybe it'll beat that. Anyway, Rob, uh, look, you saw the movie theaters. They were filled with energetic people. Uh, it's one of the biggest openings of the year for a movie that costs $15 million to make. But as somebody who was actually boots on the ground there, so we didn't have to, why do you think it didn't do even more? Like, do any of these five reasons jump out at, out at you? Are there some that you would add? No, I, I don't know. What do you think? First of all, I want to say that Sam Wrench, who directed this, you know, our friend Cliff Stevenson did a social media post about how well this was made. And my interest and Cliff in Cliff would know. Cliff yeah, would know. Yeah. And my interest in this movie has been strictly really from a production standpoint. Uh, I want to know everything. I hope Vanity Fair in their Hollywood issue writes a whole big expose on the making of this film. It is a beautiful piece of work. Um, it really is. And I, you know, I think all of those reasons are valid. And I think really, John, um, at the end of the day, it is just a concert movie. And I think about concert movies that have come out theatrically in my lifetime. Like I remember when Bring On the Night, which was a Sting concert movie. Uh, U2's Rattle and Hum. Oh, God, it's my all-time favorite. Which I have to say, I went and saw it at the Village Theater, and Phil Joanna was there, the director was there. I have never in my life heard a movie that was louder 
played louder than Rattle and Hum, and it was glorious. It was so loud, and I loved Rattle and Hum. But again, and that was you two at the height of their, the zenith. It was post-Joshua Tree. And this is, of course, riding the, the Taylor Swift wave. But I do think ultimately the problem is it is just a concert movie. Mm. And I really do think that for all, and you know what was great? What's great is this audience, it was mothers and daughters, daughters and friends, people wearing those friendship bracelets. Yeah. You yeah. know, I mean, this, this, this isn't so much a movie as another pop culture event. And I think that there was a lot of people that couldn't get into the era's tour for whatever reason. Then they went and saw it again. I'm going to be very interested to see what this movie does on weekend two and three. Cause I, I have a distinct feeling that we're going to see this movie have legs. It's either going to have legs or everyone saw it in the first weekend. But I think it's going to have legs because, man, I got to tell you, it seemed like, I mean, I went to a few banger parties back in my day and I saw a lot of people amped up on various substances, but I don't think anybody was <laughs> was amped up as much as I saw the audience. I mean, I'm like, have you guys all been snorting lines in the bathroom? What's? Yep. I mean, these people, they, they, the love, the dancing around, the energy, it was unbelievable in a movie theater. You know, even if it's for a musical artist I don't like or, or whatever else, I love being in a crowd Dude. that has tons of positive energy. I, I think I, I probably would have loved to have been there. I mean, you know, I joked, but I didn't go see Blackpink because I would have been embarrassed to go to a Blackpink concert by myself. But I kind of do wish I had a gaggle of teenage girls I could have brought with me, my friend's daughter's or whatever, so I could have taken them in the theater and just sat there and watched them all jump around and sing. I mean, these, John, they know every lyric. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've never, I was, the idea of like, hey, shut up, never occurred to me. <laughs> but man, let me tell you, if you're having a bad day, even if you're not a Taylor Swift fan, if you're, if you're having a bad day, go see this movie, sit in the back, be unobtrusive because you'll feel the love and the joy and it will get to you. And you'll just sit there with a big smile on your face. And I'm not even a Taylor Swift fan. And this movie did not make me a Taylor Swift fan, but damn, do I appreciate the love. By the way, should point this out. <laughs> so on its opening weekend, the Taylor Swift heiress tour concert movie made as much as blue beetle did in its entire global theatrical run. A blue beetle made $128 million worldwide in its entire theatrical run. The Taylor Swift Eras Tour made $128 million worldwide on its opening weekend. So who would have go back a year and say the upcoming DC film Blue Beetle, a Taylor Swift concert movie will make as much as its entire theatrical run in one weekend. I mean, they could have the, the entire running the this might have been a one weekend event and it would still be a monstrously profitable movie. Yep, absolutely. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Kevin Feige has made a suggestion that the MCU may actually reboot or soft reboot after Avengers Secret Wars, if we if that's what Avengers 6 is actually called, but once we get Avengers 6, that they could be using Avengers 6 to actually reboot the property. Now, this is coming from a brand new book that's just come out called, I'm, fr I'm freezing on the name of it. Ray, maybe you can look it up. It's a brand new book called MCU the rise of an empire or the what they're growing, whatever it's called, right? So this new book just came out. We're going to be talking about a couple of stories that have been revealed in this book. But one of the ones is that Kevin Feige may actually be considering doing this. Now, this quote that we're about to read is from one of the authors of the book. Oh, it's the reign of Marvel Studios. Okay, MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios. There you go. If this is from an interview on a podcast that one of the authors of the book did. And this is kind of interesting. This is where all this is coming from. 
It reads as this. We have a quote from Kevin Feige sort of implying that like Secret Wars will serve as a soft reboot in which they can prune everything. And that's not to use a Lokiism. They'll <laughs> prune everything that's not working and just keep what is working or bring back people you thought were gone forever. So they can use this movie. Kevin Feige has hinted to them, the writers of this book, that they're going to use this movie to just cut away the stuff that's not working, shrink the size of the MCU, and maybe even use it as an opportunity to bring back some people. Now, look, everybody who watches this show knows I don't like multiverse stuff. I find it lazy. It makes every it makes your storytelling consequence-free. It's like, oh, no, my favorite hero died. Don't worry, there's 13 other versions of them. It's going to be all fine. Like, nothing ever happened. Um, but that being said, if they can use Secret Wars to tie off the multiverse saga and use it as a device that gives you a narrative reason for, hey, all these heroes that aren't clicking with people, cut them gone. And, oh, it's time to bring back Cap. Or it's time to bring back Quicksilver. Or whatever. You can use quantum synergies as the merging of the timelines create one main timeline. And that's who's in this now. I mean, is that the return of Robert Downey Jr.? Maybe. Is this the return of Chris Evans? Maybe. Maybe the return of, of Quicksilver or, or others? Perhaps, perhaps not. But it's a really interesting concept because, Rob, even before the MCU started to sputter, not stall, I don't think the MCU is stalled, I think it's sputtering. But even before the MCU started sputtering, we've all said that, listen, at some point, this is going to get convoluted. Like, it's just growing at such a huge pace. There's so many connected starlines. You're trying to make everything consistent with canon. We're starting to see the cracks in the armor. Could this be a part of Kevin Feige's blueprint that it's like, listen, we know at some point we're going to need a self-course correction. And maybe Secret Wars is that. What do you think about the quote that we heard? And how do you think they could execute something like this? Well, I think that Actually, because it's Secret Wars and what they're allowed to do, whether it's Battle World, whether it's the Beyonder, however, whichever version of Secret Wars, whatever era they're going to go into, I would imagine the Hickman era or whatever, that they would go with the modern Secret Wars. It allows them to do just that. And I think that after all of these movies, Avengers 5 and 6 would be Kang Dynasty or whatever. That's fine. But I, I, I still am perplexed by how the MCU has not in phases four and now five has created no urgency for itself mm. that there, you know, before movies would build upon movies would build upon movies. And sometimes whether movies worked as well as they were supposed to, like maybe Thor, the dark world didn't work as well as it was supposed to. Maybe Iron Man two didn't work as well as it was supposed to, but Iron Man two still pushed that narrative forward and everything built on what came after or, or built on what before everything, which came after built on what came before is what I meant to say. And, we haven't seen any of that. We've seen no narrative urgency from one story being told in one film to the next story being told in the next film. And I feel like by the end of Quantum Mania, and you see the Council of Kangs, which by the way was kind of goofy the way it was presented, then what? I mean, then we're going to go to Captain Marvel, and it doesn't look like the story of what we're seeing in the Marvels. What does that have to do with what we saw in Quantumania? That has to do with what we saw in Thor Love and Thunder. And I feel that the MCU took us on a roller coaster ride and we were going up, 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 up the hill and, and Infinity War was the rush down the hill and then 
the end of that movie hit us and we're, we're going a million miles an hour. Like what's going to happen. And I don't feel that they've done anything like that. Even with the TV shows, there's been no narrative thrust at all. I feel we're watching a rocket on the launch pad that just keeps turning on its engines and not going anywhere. My, my problem is because while you're absolutely correct, my problem even goes beyond that in the such that even if they had shown the connective threads and how one brick builds upon another, which they haven't done lately, like you pointed out, promise, I don't know that would have made any difference because a lot of their movies and shows just aren't good. Well, yeah. I mean, so that's, so I, so you got these two problems that are just kind of compounding on each other that at least if you had one, like, you know what? We could probably forgive lack of the quality in some of the projects if we saw this overall story and development. We maybe could forgive the fact that we don't see any connected story here if the individual shows and movies were good. But we're kind of at a lack of both <laughs> to a degree, right? Which is perplexing. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And I, I, I still think a lot of this, I don't think it's a coincidence that we started seeing all this really forming, you know, about a year or two after Bob Chapek took over. And, and Kevin Feige had his authority taken away and he no longer could make the decisions that he wanted to make. Now, whether that's true or not, we'll find out in a year or two as now Kevin Feige's got his authority back and we'll see the results of that in a couple of years, but we'll see. But I, it's interesting, the idea that they might use Avengers 6 as their point to kind of reset the universe. Because at some point, you can't just expand, 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 expand. At some point, you got to reset. Maybe this is their way to do it. All right, guys. With that down, we need to talk about Millie Bobby Brown looking forward to getting out of Stranger Things so she can do projects she's actually passionate about. The director of X-Men 3, Matthew Vaughn, quit over the fact that he found out the Fox executives were literally scamming Halle Berry. And we're going to find out and talk about who exactly Sony blocked Marvel from using in Spider-Man No Way Home and made them change courses. But before we get to that, we're going to take a quick second and thank a couple of sponsors of today's episode, our friends at Rocket Money and Quip. Guys, we want to take a second and thank a sponsor of today's video, Rocket Money. Did you know that the average person has around 12 paid subscriptions and they might not even remember to subscribing to half of those? If you have no idea just how much you're spending each month, you need Rocket Money. It's this great app that tracks all of your expenses so you know exactly where your money is going. I recently just found out that over 80% of people have subscriptions that they've completely forgotten about. Seriously, think about how many free trials you subscribe to that you just probably never canceled. And that's why I'm such a big fan of Rocket Money, because I was one of those people. When I signed up to Rocket Money, I was stunned to find out that a gym I had belonged to in another city I lived in, I had still been paying my dues to for over two years. Also, that music subscription service I use, yeah, I forgot I was subscribed to two other ones. That's where Rocket Money comes in because Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. With over 3 million users and counting, Rocket Money customers have saved on average of $720 a year. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash campia. That's rocketmoney.com slash campia. Rocketmoney.com slash campia. Guys, we want to take a second and thank a sponsor of today's video, Quip. Guys, good health starts with good habits and Quip makes taking care of your oral health easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. They've got an incredible electric toothbrush with time sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses to guide a dentist recommended two minute clean. Guys, it's my favorite toothbrush I've ever owned. And who likes flossing? I, I don't, but this water flosser hits all the right spots with gentle or deep cleaning pressure at the touch of a button. But guys, then there was an additional surprise. 
surprise. Quip also supplies mints and gums that are fantastic. Every time you pop one of their new mints, you'll be caring for your mouth inside and out. Bold mint flavor keeps your breath confidently fresh and you'll get a boost of vitamin D. And their gum prevents cavities and freshens breath when chewed for like 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free, is tooth-friendly, and has zero calories. So guys, if you go to getquip.com slash campia right now, you'll get 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, and water flosser. That's your 20% off any electric toothbrush, mint and gum dispenser, water floss at getquip.com slash campia. Spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash campia. Quip, the good habits company. And thank you to our friends at Rocket Money for saving me a lot of money and Quip for making oral health care a joy for sponsoring this episode of the John Campy Show podcast. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? Millie Bobby Brown is become a big celebrity, clearly as a result of Stranger Things. Uh, we've seen her in things like Enola Holmes, Godzilla. She's got other projects she's looking forward to. And, you know, I've seen her interviewed a lot, and she, I've never met her myself, but she seems very likable, uh, super energetic. There's a lot of things to like about her and a lot of reasons why people would cheer for her. And I like her. I, I do. I like Millie Bobby Brown. However, I also have to say that I have a little bit of a pet peeve when it comes to celebrities disparaging or maybe backhanded insulting the things that got them famous in the first place. Now, I can't remember the actress's name off the top of my head, but there was that actress who was in Fresh Off the Boat and then she got the role in Crazy Rich Asians and there was like, I want to get out of that Fresh yeah. Off the Boat. It's like, excuse me, nobody would even know who you are if it wasn't for Fresh. Maybe you show a little bit of gratitude for it. Well, Millie Bobby Brown kind of just made a statement that grades me the wrong way. Um, this comes to us from IndieWire, where they wrote this. As Stranger Things Season 5 marks the final season of the viral series, Millie Bobby Brown said in a Glamour cover story that she is ready to wrap up that chapter of her life. When you're ready, you're like, all right, let's do this. Let's tackle this last senior year and let's get out of here, Brown said. Stranger Things takes up a lot of time to film and it's preventing me from creating stories that I'm passionate about. So I'm ready to say thank you and goodbye. All right. Let me say this first before anybody freaks out. That is not the worst thing she could have said, right? She did not go hardcore and said, oh, this bullshit show. <laughs> oh, so beneath me. And my talents as an actress, it's, uh, it's, uh, okay, so it wasn't, it wasn't overboard, it wasn't, but, 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 I gotta say, as somebody who particularly in season three and season four actually became a real big, like, I always liked Stranger Things, like, I liked watching the show, I enjoyed it, but I didn't consider myself a Stranger Things fan. But once we got into season three and season four, I, I became a Stranger Things fan, I really did, I thought four was fantastic. Just loved it. And Millie Bobby Brown, one of the big reasons is so good. She's so good. I really like her. But even as not a hardcore fan, I kind of take that a little bit as an insult. It's like, oh, let's get like the quote, let's get out of here. I got stories that I'm actually passionate about that I want to tell. This thing's taking up too much of my time. 
And I, listen, Millie is still young. I don't know. What is she like? 19 now? 20? Or something like that? Ray, if you can pull that up. I mean, she's still young. She's not a 13-year-old like she was when they started this damn thing. But she's still young. But I think... She's 19. She's 19. Okay, she's, she's young. She's young. And when we're young, we do and say stupid things. Well, no, check that. Even when we're older, we do and say stupid things. But, but especially when you're young. But I, I, I got to say... I don't think this was the brightest thing for her to say, at least the way she said it. When you've got people, listen, and I I say this all due respect, this isn't a a reflection of her talent because I think she's remarkably talented. But there are a lot of remarkably talented people in Hollywood who are still waitering at Cheesecake Factory. Nobody would know Millie Bobby Brown's name. Nobody would have ever heard of her if it wasn't for Stranger Things. So it's okay if deep down you feel like okay, I've done this long enough. I want to get out of here and start doing these other things I've been dreaming about. There's nothing wrong with feeling that way. But you got to be smart enough to the fans who have supported this show and love this show and all this kind of stuff to at least sound a little bit more enthusiastic. I guarantee you right now, the not the Stuffer brothers. What are the, who are the brothers? Duffer. 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 <laughs> Why do I think the Stuffer, Stuffer brothers? brothers. Yeah, it's Thanksgiving, were, John. It's, yeah, it's Thanksgiving. The Stuffer Brothers. Completely different types of movies that the Stuffer Brothers produce. Stuffing no, is served. I'm just saying, <laughs> you got to imagine that the Duffer Brothers are not thrilled reading this. And and I got to feel like probably a lot of fans. It's like, oh, so you're just doing this so you can get out of here? Like, there's a lot of fans who are kind of sad that this show is ending. At least put on the facade of, for, your, for no other sake than your fans to say, God, I can't wait for season five. This is what we've been dreaming about. You know, sending this thing off of, on a high note. And yeah, I'm looking forward to the new challenges that lay in front of me later on. But man, season five. You don't say, I'm ready for this chapter of my life to wrap up. Let's do this. Let's tackle this last senior year and let's get out of here. Come on. you got now, Again, I don't want to overplay it. It's not like she was trashing the show or trashing the fans or anything like that. But it... When you start talking like that about the thing that made you, and I'm sorry that I know you're talented, but tons of talented people never get their break. This show made you. So in the time leading up to Strange Things Season 5, maybe adjust your messaging a little bit because this will not sell well. And this is not doing your future career any favors with the fans that you are inadvertently, you're not purposely doing, inadvertently, Kind of spitting in their face. So maybe adjust your messaging moving forward a little bit. Rob, you read the comments from Millie Bobby Brown. What, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I'm kind of of two minds. I mean, on one hand, I have to, I have to, I kind of understand where she's coming from. I really understand where she's coming from because when she took this job, she was a very different person than she is now. She was 13 years old. And, and there was no one who could have possibly told her that this was going to become what it became. It became a huge phenomenon. Everyone loves a show. And they probably thought, it's, you're going to get a couple of seasons, maybe three. And, and now you're into the two. fifth season. And they've gotten, the fourth season I thought was great. So expanded. The level of commitment and time, this really probably has. And she's stuck. Like, imagine what her career would be like. Yeah, you know, I know they're only doing one more season of Stranger Things, but I got stuff to do. And she decided not to come back. That would have been catastrophic for that show because she became a worldwide fan favorite as what, 11, you know, and, and that's, that's, I think, like you said, that's why I'm like, look, I think stick to the, I like what she said about senior year. 
that makes sense to me. So you, you got held back a year and you have to go to school for five years in high school instead of four, make a joke about that. But there's no reason to sit there and I think you're right. I mean, and season five will probably be a banger. just like season four was you're lucky to have this, this thing. And now you're, she's positioned John to be a global star. She can do whatever she wants. And I think stuff like Enola, um, Holmes, I like those movies. I thought they were pretty good. I thought she was good in them. Uh, not so much in Godzilla because she wasn't given much to do. I think she's going to be a great actress. I think the show has put her on a launch pad and she should be grateful and happy because she's being put into a position where it's all good for her. So why not just say, hey, this is so great. Like well, just, just acknowledge I would be nobody today yeah. if it was not for this show. Yeah. So as you're heading into the final season, just say, just say, this is going to be awesome. So excited that we get to wrap it up this way. And by the way, it's also showing a little bit of disrespect for your fellow castmates. Like, what if you're one of your fellow castmates and you're reading, she's saying, oh, let's get out of here. Like I, like, I get looking forward to the future. I get that. Just phrasing, right? You had something? Uh, I, for me, I just, maybe, I, I think you you guys are probably taking it a little too, too being a little too harsh on her, I think. Her words. I think, I think her, her words. But ready to move on. All right, let's do this and let's get out of here. But she's saying this during a strike, right? Like where everything's held up. Like it's just more time. That's true. She wants to get. She wants to get also on with her career. There was I delays think, between seasons too. Yeah, yeah. yeah there I are big delays. Gave, I, should, I think she gave up a lot of her career to this show. I think she has no enough. career without this show. Right, right. But look, look. Her and part, she's only nineteen. Her it's not part, like she gave up the best years of her life to be in this. She's nineteen years old. Right, but not only not only a career, but just like school life, like being young life. I mean, she she's given up a lot to the show. I just think that, uh, you know, like I. I I understand what she's saying is what I mean. Uh, I, I don't. Mean, I mean, I get feeling that way. I, I totally understand. Like, you, Shay, look, listen, how many people stay at the same job more than five years, right? Not a lot of people. A lot of people move on to different things. I totally understand the feeling that, you know, I've been doing this since I was 13 years old. And I've gotten my taste of doing other things like Godzilla, like Enola Holmes. I'm really looking forward to these other things. But what you don't come out do is come out publicly and start saying, yeah, this show that made me is holding me back. Like you don't, you don't, I, again, I just think it's messaging. I, I just think she's just got to realign and think about what she's saying and how she's saying it. Again, I, I like her. I, I personally like her. I think she's really good. Too. And I think she's got a future ahead of her, but she's got to stop saying stuff like this, I think. So uh, anyway, that's just my, I think everybody's going to have a different take on it, but that's just kind of mine. All right. With that down. Let's move on to this, shall we? This is disgusting, this story. <laughs> Absolutely disgusting. Now, Matthew Vaughn, who is a terrific director, did X-Men First Class that a lot of people loved and a lot of other movies that I absolutely love that he's done. Well, a lot of you might remember that he was signed on to direct X-Men 3. I believe it was called Last Stand. Yep. X-Men 3, Last Stand. And then, due to scheduling conflicts, and that's the phrase that was given at the time, he had to move on from that and the Rush Hour director who... Uh, Brett Ratner. Brett Ratner had to step in and direct that film. By the way, the worst of the X-Men films, but better than, than its reputation. <laughs> it, it, it had some things going. That last big battle scene when Magneto is flying like the torn up piece of the bridge and bringing all the other mutants over, like it had its moments. I thought Beast was great in that. Whatever. I call it X-Men my last straw. X-Men my last straw. <laughs> so, 
uh, so he was supposed to do it, but now we found out really why Matthew Vaughn left. This comes to us from Variety, said this, one of the main reasons that I quit X-Men 3, and this is a true story, I went to an executive's office, this was when it was being made at Fox, and I saw an X3 script. It was a lot fatter. So I asked, what's this draft? They were like, don't worry about it. <laughs> so I grabbed it and I opened the first page and it said, Africa, kids dying from no water and storm creates a thunderstorm to save all these children. They said, this is the Halle Berry script because she hasn't signed on yet. This is what she wants it to be. And once she signs on, we'll throw it in the bin. I thought, if you're going to do that to an Oscar-winning actress who plays Storm, I quit. First of all, let me just talk about this as an aside. Good on Matthew Vaughn. Good on Matthew Vaughn. I mean, I already love this guy. I think he's fantastic. But hearing this, you walk in, it's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You are going through, you actually had a 200-page script, fake script, written just so you can con one of the pillar actors in our franchise and an Academy Award winner to, to defraud them, to trick them into being in the movie, you're going to straight up lie. You're going to present her with this script saying, this is our script, when you know full well it's not, and you're just lying to them? If you're going to do that to her, what are you going to do to me? Now, remember, Fox Studios, as it was, no longer exists. It's, it's, it's still called Fox. It's under Disney now, but all different executives there now. It's a completely different ship. But, I mean, I, I'd look at that and say, yeah, no, I'm never working with you again. Like, th that, that is some terrible, terrible stuff. So good on Matthew Vaughn. Now, according to the story that was in, in Variety, it went on. It's like, Storm clearly did have a more elevated position in the movie. Clearly that Africa scene was nowhere to be found in X-Men The Last Stand, but her character was elevated a little bit more than she had been in previous movies. I mean, she didn't have any gold nuggets like what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning. Same thing that happens to everything else. Man, that's an old time classic. That's right up there with show me the money. But I mean, it's just, I read that today, Rob. Like we all know. The studios and executives, look, let's face it, everyone in Hollywood, actors, writers, directors, studio executives, whatever, they can all be, they can all stab a lot of backs to get what they want. I get it. But this to me, I found particularly despicable. What did you think about when you read this? Well, yeah, it, it, it was not good, John. <laughs> and I will say this, what, what I found interesting about this was when I was hired to do the X-Men and X-Men 2 special features, there was a thought the X-Men was called X-Men 1.5 and Brian was going to shoot two scenes that were going to go into a new cut of X-Men 1. One of them was Storm's origin. So I'm wondering, because it was written, did they repurpose those things? And it was also Cyclops' origin was going to be dealt with. And they, they took that stuff out of the X-Men 1.5 stuff because studios repurpose material and they created this draft. But... Even so, the idea that they would trick an actor, an Oscar-winning actor, get them to sign on, and once the contract is dry, the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, that they would pull something like this? What do they think the actor's going to do? I mean, and, and by the way, this kind of thinking tends to dominate Hollywood. 
and it makes no sense. I've seen this kind of thinking get in the way of so many projects. And you you hear something like this, like Matthew Vaughn, because Matthew Vaughn has a his collaborator. I forget her name right off the top of my head, but she frequently writes with him. And and uh, the two of them together have written some great material. And I'm sure this was wildly offensive to him, wildly offensive. And he, like you said, he'd be like. Uh, I can't even imagine what he was thinking. Like you really would try and do you think that she's not going to understand? Like that's, it's the thinking that you're going to get away with that. You think you're not going to cause a problem. That's going to come on me as the director of the movie. You're an idiot. So this kind of behavior is, is unacceptable on any level. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I don't get it. And you know, it reminds me of something. I shouldn't tell this story, but, but I will, but I'm going to keep it as vague as I can. So back in my either AMC or Collider days, I was approached by another company to come and take over something else. And I remember in my first conversation with them, it was, that's really odd because I knew the person who was currently running it. And I said, that's rather odd because I just talked to them like two weeks ago. I had no idea they were leaving. And their EVP said to me, well, they don't know they're leaving. And I remember I, I went and talked to Anne about it. Uh, and so, and I went back to them and I said, well, like, here's the thing. Look, uh, the offer looks nice and all that kind of stuff. But the very fact that you reached out and you're talking to me when this person doesn't even know you're replacing them. I said, look, all due respect, but you're not the type of person I want to be working for. I don't think I'd want to work for you. Because I don't think I'd ever trust, I'm, I didn't tell them this word for word, but in my head I'm thinking, I don't think I'd ever trust a single thing you'd ever tell me. You can make me all these guarantees right now. I have full creative control, blah, blah, blah. But why should I believe you now? You're going behind somebody else's back. What are you going to do to me? So, I mean, and that's what, and maybe that's why when I read this story, it, it like kind of touched a nerve with me a little bit. It's like, ooh, that's despicable. And then they went on to build cast media. <laughs> With a K, yeah. K with a cast. They want to form the empire. It is cast media. I'm sure my $100,000 check is going to show up any day now. All right, guys, with that down, let's move on to this, shall we? You know, that new book that's uh, just come out here that we referenced a little bit earlier, MCU, The Reign of Marvel Studios. Another really interesting little thing came out in that, which was that Spider-Man No Way Home, one of the biggest box office hits in the history of cinema, was actually supposed to be a very different movie. The movie that the writers of the film were int intended to make initially was going to be Spider-Man versus Kraven the Hunter. That was the movie they wanted to do. And apparently Sony stepped in and said, no, because <laughs> we got other plans. This comes to us from Screen Rant to write the following. According to, the, according to MCU, the Reign of Marvel Studios book, Marvel was not allowed to use Kraven the Hunter in Spider-Man No Way Home due to Sony's plans for the villain. The book reveals that Spider-Man No Way Home writers Chris McKenna and Eric Summers pitched Kraven as the villain of the film, only to hear that Kraven was unavailable until Sony established him in a solo movie. And again, that comes to us from Screen Rant. Now, look, hindsight is 2020. We can now look back and say, well, everything worked out just fine. They decided to get bring in you know, Toby and Andrew. They decided to bring back the other villains from the older films. And they made a thing that had one of the biggest box office uh, successes opening weekends in cinematic history. And I think 
what, the fifth or sixth or seventh biggest film ever in the history of Hollywood with Spider-Man No Way Home? Made two point some odd billion or got close to that, whatever. 1.9 billion. 1.9, got close to 2 billion is what I should opening say. Opening was $260 million. $260 million opening weekend. <laughs> made more than the previous seven or eight DCEU films together. Combined. Yeah. In one weekend. No, I mean, it was just finesse. So clearly it all worked out just fine. It all worked out just fine. But it, it does still kind of show the back and forth relationship that Sony and Marvel has when it comes to the Spider-Man property because, look, everybody forgets that Sony still wields a lot of the power in that relationship. And it's it's right that they do. The, the character rights, movie rights belong to them. They are the distributors of the film. They control these characters. And they had a vision for something. And listen, I got to tell you too, despite what a lot of people say about the trailer and whatever, I am actually quite curious about this Craven movie. Uh, I've got, like, I got more interested in when we started hearing the real synopsis of it because there was some fake stuff going around. But once we heard the real synopsis, I'm like, you know, this could be good. It could be a total disaster. It could be a total disaster. It's either going to be the next Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse or it's going to be the next Morbius. Which one? <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But Rob, at the end of the day, it sounded like, hey, no biggie. Sony said no to something that every right to say no to. Plan B worked out just fine for Sony, Marvel, and everybody else. But when you hear a story like this, I know what are the thoughts that come to your mind? Well, on one hand, it's nice to know they were planning in advance. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's that's what that's what I that's what I took away from this, which I think is good. Um, it makes sense to me that they wanted to keep this character back. Obviously, when you think of great Spider-Man villains that could actually carry an antagonist that could carry a movie that's worthy of that. Uh, Craven is one of those antagonists. And the fact that they decided he was enough of an antagonist to make a solo, a Craven origin movie, shows that's true. And look, you and I have both kind of enjoyed the trailers for what we've seen from Craven. I, I have. I know others haven't, and that's cool. I'm, but I think there's potential there. Yeah, I think there's potential there too. And and Aaron Taylor Johnson is I I really like him. I loved him in Bullet Train. I really liked him as kick ass. But I'm so glad you brought up Bullet Train. He was so good in that. I loved him in that movie. And he was in another movie based on a Don Winslow novel called Savages that Oliver Stone directed. Yeah, he with was Taylor great Pitch in that. And uh, Ryan Reynolds' wife. Ryan Reynolds' wife, too. I mean, I really like that movie. I really am a huge Don Winslow fan. Don Winslow fan. And look, I really like this actor. It's a bummer. But then again, would the movie have been as good? I don't know. And if they had just, I liked the fact that they brought back these previously existing villains. If they had added Craven into that mix, might not have been so good. Somebody in the live chat is saying they would have given him a fake script to trick him into joining. <laughs> Let's not forget too that the the upcoming Spider-Man Two game is coming out. Yeah, October twentieth on the PlayStation Five, and it it features Craven Craven's as the main a part villain. of it. Yeah, so. Uh, it's a great time for this story to come out. So uh, I'll focus on Craven right now. I mean, yeah. I mean, you know Sony is going to really go hard on the marketing for that. And if this game is anywhere near as successful as the first game was, they're going to leverage that to spin off into some marketing hype for the Craven movie whenever uh, that movie actually does end up coming out. All right, guys. With that all down, we are now going to move over and start taking your questions. Uh, if you've got a question or comment, there's still a few minutes to fire them in if you'd like to. But before we get to those, we're going to take a quick moment and thank a couple of more sponsors of today's episode of the John Capa Show podcast, our friends at Fume, and of course, my mobile service provider, and they should be yours, Mint Mobile. 
We want to take a second to thank a sponsor of this video, Fume. Quitting cold turkey is great in theory, but you and I both know it's way more difficult than that. And that's why there's a better way to break your bad habits. We're not talking about some fake online promises. We're talking about our sponsor, Fume. And they look at the problem in a different way. Instead of a drastic, uncomfortable change, why not just remove the bad from your habit? Fume is an innovative, award-winning flavor air device that does just that. See, instead of vapor, Fume uses flavored air. Instead of electronics, Fume is completely natural. And instead of harmful chemicals, Fume uses delicious flavors. You get it. Instead of bad, Fume is good. It's a habit you're free to enjoy and makes replacing your bad habit easy. I personally didn't know what to expect when I first got my Fume. I mean, I've never liked vapes, but my goodness, the taste. The first time I tried it, I was completely sold on it. It was incredible. Stopping is something we all put off because it's hard, but switching to Fume is easy, enjoyable, and even fun. Fume has served over 150,000 customers and has thousands of success stories, and there's no reason that can't be you. Join Fume and accelerating humanity's breakup from destructive habits by picking up the journey pack today. Head to tryfume.com and use the code CAMPIA to save 10% off when you get the journey pack today. That's tryfum.com and use the code CAMPIA to save an additional 10% off your order today. Guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Mint Mobile. Signing your life away to a big wireless provider is kind of like being trapped on a roller coaster from hell. Sure, it looks like fun at first. They probably even threw in a free phone, but now you can't get off. Month after month of insane bills and unexpected thrills, like overages and surprise fees. If that sounds like your current big wireless plan, it's time to get off the ride with Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are just $15 a month. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for just 15 bucks a month. You guys know before I came to Mint Mobile, I was paying triple what I am paying now on the standard big wireless plan, and I will never go back. All plans come with unlimited talk, text, and high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get your new unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped right to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com campia. That's mintmobile.com dot com slash campia cut your wireless bill to just 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash campia and thank you to our friends at fume and mint mobile for sponsoring this episode all right guys let's get over to your questions here shall we jonathan what do we got up first? oh first yeah let's do this all right <laughs> thomas bombadil writes hi team the new trailer for monarch was awesome ray agrees also, the show is at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes with critics praising the world building atmosphere. I'm hype. I am stoked for this show. I was interested in the show before, but not super excited. I am now super excited. This looks so good. And it, start, it starts, what, early November, later this oh, month? I'm, tr I'm trying to look that up yeah, right now. But I know it's soon. It's coming out soon. I can't remember the exact date. But, I mean, Rob, I mean, this, this has looked... More movie quality oh, for yeah. an Apple TV Plus oh. show than Marvel's MCU stuff on Disney Plus looks. I mean, it looks phenomenal. What are you thinking, dude? I'm so I can't even begin to tell you this. The end of 2023 is, is the the big G is back. The big G, <laughs> baby. I'm not talking G. about Andrew Tate. I'm talking about Godzilla. What? <laughs> I'm telling you. Oh dude, my! He, I mean, the top G is the Godzilla. G. <laughs> because not only do we have the Monarch series, but you also have Godzilla minus one coming to theaters. The great Toho 
Godzilla film, you know, that looks like which the two awesome. projects are not connected. Just so they're not con- no, they're not connected. One is the but but Godzilla, the, the post World War II Godzilla movie, will be opening in movie theaters in the United States. So we're getting two massive Godzilla projects that both look amazing. And don't forget the new Godzilla versus Kong has already started dropping posters and. Stuff oh like yeah, that. I, I can't believe the quality of both of these projects look absolutely astonishing and getting. Kurt Russell and his son to play the same character in two different time periods. Such a great idea. Genius. Genius. I am beyond excited for this. Yeah, I think it looks great. One month away, November 17th. November 17th. I, I'm, I am actually ludicrous. That's a week after for all mankind. Apple's bringing the noise. Yep. Bro. No. All right, what's next? Andy waiting for Taylor and Travis to break up so she can date Pete Davidson to cause a publicity firestorm. Even if that happen, ever happens, or no, if that ever happens, the internet would implode. I don't see that one. I don't see that one. Did you see SNL this weekend? I, I didn't, but I, I saw um, his opening monologue, which I thought was really good. Yeah. His opening monologue was pitch perfect. And I saw that Travis did a ca- cameo and Taylor did a, what's the girl's name? Ice Spice? Ice Spice. Uh-huh. Yeah. Where Taylor just all of a sudden popped up. You they came back from commercial break. There's Taylor Swift introducing Ice Spice. Oh, she was there. I yeah. didn't finish it. I just yeah. I, she I, just just to, just to introduce Ice Spice. That's it. She just did that and, and nice. was off. So um, Kelsey was there too. Yeah, that, yeah. Travis oh, yeah, did yeah, yeah, yeah. on there so too. They did so a there you go. Little thing. All right. What's next? Uh, TJ Perry says, "Seen House of Fall of Usher yet? Uh, so damn good." I'm gonna be honest with you. The person behind it, the cast, all super intriguing to me. I thought the trailer was garbage. I watched the trailer and I thought, this doesn't look good at all. And so, again, I'm not saying the show isn't good at all because I haven't seen it, but the trailer was nonsense. And I was like, not interested. I don't know. Rob, have you watched it? All of it. And? It's awesome. Look at me so proud. Not only is it awesome, go to episode two and the episode two is... It, it, it's so clever of what, what it does with, with all of Edgar Allan Poe's stuff. But episode two is called The Mask of Red Death. And, and, and the end, I literally was squealing, squealing with delight. What, the show, first of all, the music is incredible. The storyline's incredible. Uh, Bruce Greenwood is incredible. And Carla Gugino, has she been sexy for like 30 years now or yeah. what? Because she is amazing as the quote unquote femme fatale in this. And everything about the show was st- Dude, it is delicious fun. Delicious fun. And it is mean-spirited and horrible things happen to people that you want them to. It was great. Well, all right, it was I'll succession it out. of blood. Lots and lots of blood. All right, what's next? Uh, we got uh, Andy's back. Saw the Taylor Swift concert film, and she had a great. She had a guitarist uh, on the band who looked like uh, Robert with Sexy Brown Mullet. Is Rob living a double life? Oh, just like uh, I cannot confirm or deny that was me. <laughs> you know who he's talking about? Look, man, I signed an NDA. <laughs> what was uh, the double life of uh, Ron Swanson? The Dick Silver? Oh, uh, Dick Silver. Duke Silver. Duke Silver. The Dick sax Silver. player. <laughs> what are you Ladies, watching? draw oh, a warm player. bath and soak in my jazz. <laughs> That's one of the greatest things That's ever. Rob right there. <laughs> Rob Swanson. I actually right. say that a lot. What's next? Uh, Harvest K writes, let me give him a little room. Follow the House of Ushers, another winner from Flanagan. Uh, neat in- integration of supernatural slasher horror with succession. That's literally what you guys were just saying. Episode three has an amazing monologue on lemons by Bruce Greenwald's or Greenwood's character. By the way, uh, 
Side note, Bruce Greenwood. Whenever he pulls on Michael Caine and decides to retire from acting, I think at that point, people will finally start to appreciate how good this guy is. He's one of these guys who elevates every movie he's ever appeared in. Everybody knows his face. Most average fans don't know his name. But all he does is bring it in everything. He's Dude, wonderful. This show is peak Greenwood. And I've been a fan of his seeing him in Adam Goyne's, what was it, Exotica? Exotica, the film about the strip club. He's going back. I yeah. think he's a big Canadian kid. Oh, I didn't thing? know because that. Because <laughs> he started out in Canadian making movies with Adam McGowan. So he's so good. He, he, he's so good in this show. You'll love it. You'll love it. All right. What's next? David uh, Cushmore has, uh, says, is James Cameron going to do a Terminator film or an Alien film? Uh, what is next for these franchise films? Well, Alien is getting, um, what's his name, is doing the... Yeah, Fetty Alvarez. Fred, they, Fetty Alvarez. Yeah, they've got, a, they've got a film coming out. Not too long from now. Yeah, it's it, but it's a Hulu film, right? Or yeah, yeah it's, it's going to be. But a Hulu I think film, it might get theatrically released, which I hope they do after what the success they had with Prey. So that's happening. Uh, as far as a Predator, I don't know. Um, oh, he meant uh, Terminator. Oh, Terminator. Oh, yeah. that's right. Because he said James Cameron said in an interview a while ago, maybe four or five months ago, we talked about it on the show that he was working on another Terminator. Uh, but it was going to be a lot about AI being a big thing today and blah, blah, blah. I, you, listen, James can say a lot. Another good Canadian kid, he can say a lot. But here's the reality. You know, he talked for over a decade about doing Elite of Battle Angel. And he, and he was going to direct it. But when it came down to it, he couldn't direct it. He was too busy. So he got somebody else to direct it. He's got four more or three more Avatar films to do. And... That's taking up the next seven years of his life. And he's supposed to be helping Robert Rodriguez do another Elite of Battle Angel. I mean, that's fine. He can say he's doing another Terminator. I'll I'll believe it when I see it. I I think he's, he wants to, maybe. I don't think it's going to happen. Rob, do you think it's going to actually happen? No. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> that's it. Uh, that's and it. with that, we'll move on to David Cushmore again. Is Frank Oz going to do Yoda again? Will, will he do a Star Wars movie anytime soon? What is next for Ahsoka? Don't care about Ahsoka, but as far as Frank Oz goes, um, I think I heard he was done. I You're thought done, I son. heard that. I, don't don't quote me on that because I might be wrong about that. Still, my favorite Frank Oz story is my wife, Anne, almost killed him. Um, we were at one of the premieres of one of the Star Wars movies, and we were in the VIP line, and we were right behind Frank Oz, who I guess had just had some kind of skiing accident or something, because he had his—he was on crutches. Frank was, and he had a cast on. And Anne was walking in that direction and looking at something else, and nearly ran him right over. <laughs> Last second, I got my arm out to stop her, and I thought, "Honey, you almost killed Frank Oz at a Star Wars premiere." Anyway, that was that was the big story of the day. I honestly don't know. I. I, I hope he's not done voicing Yoda, but I don't find anything. So I'm not, not honestly anything. hoping that we see or hear from Yoda anytime again soon. I'm, I'm wanting Star Wars to start moving forward. So we'll find out. All right. What's next? Jeebus Rebus says uh, New York Comic Con was great. I went to the Final Fantasy VII Rebirth panel. I took pictures with the voice cast and got a signed poster. You know, I've been see. I saw a lot of that very near. Is it just me? Did New York City Comic Con very quietly kind of sneak yeah. up and happen? Because there wasn't the the buildup for it this year. And I was shocked because I was following, you know, Gotham Geek Girl. Yeah. Nadia, who was on the show with us the other week. 
And so I'm looking at her Instagram and that's like, that's like, oh, that's right. And your Comic-Con is going on. And so I remember like at the beginning of the year, I thought to myself, I might want to try to get out because I've never been to New York City Comic-Con. I thought maybe this year I'll get a chance to get out to do it. But have you ever had a chance to go to the New York City Comic-Con? I've never been to New York Comic-Con. I was supposed to go one year with Schnepp, but I didn't go. And I've always wanted to. Maybe next year we should try to get get down there. Yeah. And go to that. You know, but mm, mm, the Brazil one. What's, what's the Brazil one called again? The CC, CXCP or something? Yeah, yeah, CC, yeah. That's that all. one has been growing every year. And every time I see the reports and the pictures and everything coming out of that one, it's just getting bigger and bigger. I think it's and, called and I'm, Caipirinha Fest because that's all I'm going to be drinking down there while you guys go to the festival. <laughs> I, I'm just developing a lot of FOMO for that Brazilian one. So maybe we'll have to pick either maybe trying to go to the Brazil one or go to the New York City. I've one. wanted to go to Brazil since I saw Moonraker in 1979. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> Just saying. I literally was born. <laughs> All right. came out the month I was born. What's next? You I'm not kidding, by the way. I'm not kidding. <laughs> Dr. Stinky writes, hey, John and crew, rest in peace, Suzanne Summers. Yeah. What a sad oh. day for Three's Company fans. Rest in peace. I'll tell you what, Suzanne Summers, and, and I mean this in the best way possible, she was the sexual awakening for a lot of young men. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, Three's Company with, the, of course, the great John Ritter, you know, watching Gen V right now, John Ritter's, uh, uh, John, his son makes is po- keeps popping up in Gen V. But uh, Three's Company was such a groundbreaking show. I mean, they, their humor is so suggestive. Like, I don't know if you could do some of the stuff that they did then today. Yeah, no. I mean, they brought the filthy. <laughs> Free. <laughs> Rob's tried. <laughs> yeah, no, like, that was a down real quick. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, but listen, like, so she made her fortune off, Suzanne Summers made her fortune off being the dumb blonde, right? Well, that dumb blonde had, you know, as Melanie Griffith would say, a uh, mind for business and a body for sin. You know, she had a brilliant business mind. She went on to make her real fortune, uh, like, with master? her various... Well, Thighmaster was one of them, but she wrote a lot of health stuff. And then she had another sitcom that she did with the dude from Dallas uh, for a couple seasons. And she just was always an active businesswoman, made her fortune. And yeah, I was really really surprised when I heard that she had passed away. And, uh, you know, American Graffiti is coming out in 4K. And she made that great moment, you know, that great, that's in American Graffiti. Totally forgot about (laughs) that. She was the dream girl and uh, the angel in American Graffiti. All right, what's next? Mike says, hi, all. I just read that Michael Fassbender doesn't blink at all in his portrayal of a hitman in The Killer. What's an interesting fact about an actor's performance that surprised you? (laughs) Nothing, really. I mean, that sounds interesting to me. I don't think I'll notice it in the movie, but I am really looking forward to that movie. Like, You know, I think De Niro putting on all that weight to do Raging Bull was surprising. I mean, now we have people putting on weight all the time, but at the time when De Niro was, because he was always so... It's trim. They look at him in Taxi Driver. Yeah, really trim. And then Raging Bull was not very long after Taxi Driver, and he really put on the pounds and really committed. Now actors do that kind of stuff all the time, but at the time it was surprising to me. All right, what's next? Uh, Spying Mentor says, thoughts on Matthew Vaughn trying to do a kick-ass reboot? I don't think it can work. Um, I think they did kick-ass. It was great. It wasn't long enough ago. I mean, look, yeah, someday you can reboot it. I think now is way too soon. You're going to have a real hard time. Look, the magic they caught with Hit Girl was powerful and great. And honestly, 
I'm going to say this too, and a lot of people disagree with me when I say it, but I'm going to continue to say it. Everybody underestimated just how important Nicolas Cage's Big Daddy was in that first one. Because when the second one came around, it wasn't just that the movie wasn't quite as good as the first one. It's still good. I Don't get me wrong. I'm not bad talking Kick-Ass 2. I like it. But it wasn't as good as the first one. And one of the things that really stuck out, there was an entire dimension that Nicolas Cage as Big Daddy brought to that movie and brought to that world that you really felt the absence of it when it was gone. And number one, you're never going to find somebody who can recapture that as like Nick Cage doing Big Daddy. And um, what was the name of the girl who played Hit Girl again? Uh, Chloe Grace Moretz. Yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz, who's gone on to become a really good actress in her own right. But her as Hit Girl, like the two of them made that movie and it hasn't been long enough. So I, I don't think it'll happen. I don't know, Rob, do you think we're going to get one? No. No, I do not. I think, uh, have you seen the the trailer for Matthew Vaughn's new movie, Argyle? Oh, yes. Yes. That looks incredible. Henry Cavill? I can't wait to see that movie. I'm like, that looks like the perfect distillation of like that Sandra Bullock movie. It's it's a little bit of Lost City, Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Actually, that's the really the mix. There's a mix of Romancing Stone and, and Lost City. And then the Nicolas Cage, Pedro Pascal movie. When the, when yeah, the a little bit of that. I mean, all that stuff, I'm like, it looks so good. I can't wait to see that movie. Yeah, me too. When John Cena grabs, what was it, Dua Lipa? When he grabs her right off the bike with uh, one it was all, It's so good. <laughs> all right, what's next? King Daddy Go writes, hey guys, hope all's well. Just finished the new series of Follow the House of Usher and wow, 10 out of 10 for me. Have any of you seen it? And what do you think? Thanks and bring <laughs> Yeah, well, movie. we don't need to go over it again, but obviously a lot of people are liking it. Rob loves Thumbs it. Up. I'm going to have to get on and watch that soon. All right, what's next? Uh, Let's see. We got, oh, uh, Disgraceful... Disgraceful end. Uh, I thought Disney had bought the rights of Spider-Man back from Sony. What's going on with that? No, that never happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, what just- what happened many years ago was that Sony and Marvel entered into a deal where Sony would allow. Uh, they entered into a partnership where Marvel could have Spider-Man in the MCU, but make no mistake, the rights still belong to Sony. Marvel can only do with Spider-Man what Sony allows them to do with Spider-Man. Still belongs to them. They're still the distributors of the film. So yeah, who, who, so yeah, that that has never been the case. Marvel never bought the rights to Spider-Man back ever. All right, what's next? Amin writes, in the spirit of Halloween, I've got a question. So I'm not a horror guy. I don't like jump scares, paranormal stuff, or possessed devil storylines, <laughs> but I do like more suspense type horror films. Mm. Any recommendations for films like Get Out, uh, for example, that I would enjoy? Thanks. There was one made just a couple of years ago with Stephen Lang, called oh yeah oh, the blind don't, don't breathe, breathe. Uh, yeah. breathe. what's what's it called don't breathe don't breathe i was yeah. gonna say don't make a sound called don't breathe it's not supernatural not about a serial killer but i i had my heart in my throat most of that movie that that that's one that might be right up your alley and what was that one that we always forget the name of the one with the lead actress looks like um barbie uh what's her name oh 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 um um and she's like a, a she's guest. got the same last name as as uh uh, uh Samara As, Weaving? Yes, yeah, Samara Weaving. Thank you. It's called... Ready or Not? Ready or Not. That's good. And you know... That is a great movie. Ready or Not movie. is a great... It's a great movie. I'll give you an 80s double feature that you can't go wrong with. <laughs> nice. Near Dark and The Hitcher. Oh, I remember Be- The Hitcher. Because they're both kind of like Southwest out in the desert. Both oh, of those, even though I Near Dark. Those. And Near Dark has the entire, half the cast of Aliens in it. And it's directed by Catherine Bigelow. And it's amazing. And so is The Hitcher with Rucker Hauer and C. Thomas Howell. 
All right, let's get uh, two more in here. What's all next? All right, JCSE says, I'm all caught up on Gen V. Man, it's really good. So good. Convinced that the world of the boys is possibly the most morally bankrupt fictional world out there. If you can think of a more amoral one, I'm curious to check it out. I, I just, I can't believe how much I love this world. Yeah. I mean, the boys came out and surprised us all. Gen V has really leaned into it and done. That, that is really ultimately, Rob, you weren't here when we were talking about this, but especially when you watch this last episode. And by the way, the puppet massacre is going to go down as one of the, the great scenes I've seen on television in a long time. <laughs> but when, as I'm watching this latest episode, I think it was episode four or five. I can't remember which episode this it was. was. Five. It was five. You start to realize this whole show is just an allegory an analogy, if you will, of people trying to deal with college life and, and university life and, and what a lot of people go through in college and university, but manifested in this wild, fantastical, supernatural, superpowered kind of way. And in the midst of that, they throw in some mystery, the whatever. By the way, the Tech Knight stuff, I... I was watching that and when they showed his particular perversion, like Anne was almost in tears. Like Anne was like, oh my God. And she's like, oh my God, it's so good. I remember Rob, when boys first came out, you were one of the real first guys to jump on about it. I remember you, the first person I heard say when that first batch of episodes came out and you said, this is better than the source material. Yeah, yes. And, 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 and I think Gen V has kind of followed through on that. Uh, dude, I agree. And you know, I, I think Gen V was, here was a show that had all the potential to fail. And it didn't. It's really, really good. But I would say, I would say it's not amoral. It's our world heightened. The real, th the real thing that's so disturbing about the world of the boys is we are living in this world. It's just amped up to ten or eleven, as Spinal Tap would say. That's what. So we live in one. one. But if right. you take our world and cranked it up to where it already is, we'd get to eleven. That's the boys, and that's why it's so disturbing. All right, what's next? Uh, wrong one. Okay, uh, Majork writes, uh, hey, John and crew, just curious, what's the difference between Batgirl, which was a train wreck and pulled, versus Five Nights, which looks like it's on a course to being a train wreck as well? Why not pull it and other films in the same category? Well, there's a couple of different reasons. One, Five Nights at Freddy's is not a part of a larger intellectual property that it could damage other films. It's, it's an isolated, self-contained film, and whether it does good or bad will not cause damage to other things they have going on. That's the massive difference. That's not a small detail. That is a massive, massive difference. Like, the, you saw what happened to Blue Beetle. Blue Beetle's a good little movie. But it's just that the reputation of the DCU was already such garbage. Imagine how bad Blue Beetle would have done if they did put out Batgirl. <laughs> I, I mean, and, and from, again, I have only seen snippets of it. But I know, I personally know people, so does Rob, who have actually seen Batgirl. I'm not, we're not just talking about the reports. We actually know people who have seen it and have verified to us that it was atrocious. Um, and like, why would you put that out? Why would you spend the millions of dollars it was going to take them to finish the film, like in post-production, and then put it out and pay additional licensing and royalties and all that? Why would you do that? And just damage your IP even more. A Five Nights at Freddy's is not a part of a larger, you know, uh, franchise. It's not a part of a, of a big cinematic universe that if it's really that bad, it could hurt this, this, and this. That's not the case. It's isolated. If it sucks, it'll be self-contained. Rob, do you have anything to add to that? No, I think you're exactly right, though. And uh, the Five Nights at Freddy thing, no one knows what that is except the people that 
played the game and stuff, and it has a great following. Uh, but like you said, it doesn't have a much larger IP that's going to be hurt by it. I mean, I don't think anyone is expecting Lawrence of Arabia from Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> and I would imagine, while I do think the trailers look terrible, I think, in Freddy fact, I think that Fr Five Nights at Freddy's might have the most disappointing trailers I've seen all year. However... I still have hope, John. Hey, it's, it's projected to make thirty to forty-five million dollars. I, I want Five Nights at Freddy's. It comes out this week, right? Uh, I believe. I think so. this week or next week. The, oh, it comes, comes out the twenty-seventh. I really want it to be good. I really do. Please be good, Five Nights at Freddy's. By the way, you know, one of the uh, viewers in in the live chat. I just want to get uh, Edward writes. You mean Blue Beetle didn't damage DC brand? No, it didn't. You, you go follow any metric. It was it was a pretty well received movie. People liked the movie. Batgirl, on the other hand, would not. So, yeah, there's that. All right, last question of the day. All right. Uh, uh, adre adrenaline night. Sorry, I couldn't get through that. Uh, it's all one word. Did anyone check out Goosebumps this weekend? I recommend it. I have zero interest. Even though, did I see that... Um, Justin Long. Justin Long is in that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's the only thing that makes me interested in it because I love Justin Long. But honestly, other than that, I, I've never liked Goosebumps. I've never liked any iteration of Goosebumps, to be honest with you. And I know this is a totally new thing and a totally different thing, but nothing's appealed to me to make, except for the fact that Justin Long is. And you guys watch it? No, because Hulu is really expensive for me right now. <laughs> Hulu is very expensive. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> And that's all the time we have for today's installment of the John Campy <laughs> Show podcast. Thank you so much for being here and making this show part of your day. Big special thank you to all you guys who sent in questions, whether you're our beloved YouTube channel members or people who use the Super Chat feature. Number one, because you give us great, interesting things to talk about. Number two, you support our channel as you do it. And all of us involved with the channel, thank you guys so very much for your support. Hey, listen, guys, our live streams are not done for the day. Come on back a little bit later this afternoon. We're going to be doing an open mic as well. So I hope to see many of you guys there. And don't forget to come back and join us again tomorrow. Also, want to remind you guys that we have a podcast. If you need an audio-only version of the John Campus Show podcast, and even if you watch it on the YouTube channel regularly, go and subscribe to it either on, you know, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever your favorite podcasting app of choice is, so the audio version will be there the next time that you need it. So, for everybody in the room, Raymond. Let's get out of here. <laughs> Jonathan Boyko. It's graduation day! Writer, director, producer, newly appointed Swifty, Woo! Robert Meyer Burnett. Oh, yeah. I'm dancing. My name's John Campion. Until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.